In the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Glad to see all of you here today. I'm going to start by asking you just a very basic question, and I want you to notice your first response. So the question is, like I said, pretty basic. What does it mean to be a Christian? Now, maybe your first response was, come on, here we go again. I have been coming to this church longer than this preacher's been alive. Um, and, you know, I, I, if that is, if you're thinking this is too basic a question, I want to, uh, I would respond by saying something I've said before, and that is that um, Christian maturity is not a matter of addition, but a matter of subtraction, <laughs> not a matter of adding to um, you know, I, I've, I've been coming all of my life, I've done this class, I've led that ministry, and it, it's a matter of uh, relying on and learning to rely on nothing but the love and the sacrifice and the resurrection uh, of Jesus. So no longer am I relying, I may be doing more good works, but I'm not relying on my good works. I'm not relying on my wealth. I'm not relying uh, on what people think of me. Relying on Jesus. He said, Jesus plus anything else equals less than Jesus. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So, what does it mean to be a Christian? I wonder uh, if some of you had the thought, um, well, it means to believe in Jesus. To trust in him, to love him. Some, some form of that. Some, um, something about what you believe Others may have thought, well, it means to love others, to serve, uh, to help others, to make a positive difference in the world, uh, certainly in the name of Christ, I would think. Uh, and some may be in the middle of that, you might say, a, um, uh, to be a member of the church, active, to try to live like Jesus, something, uh, something like that. This morning we want to take a look at the epistle reading from Colossians, uh, and really just verses 3, 4, and 5. Just a little thought there that has sort of captured my attention as I've been thinking about it. Uh, it's a thought that I think gets to the heart of what makes us Christians, but also at the heart uh, of what matures us as Christians. Now, you can't see the verse numbers there in your, um, uh, in your bulletin, but it's right here, sort of right at the, uh, at the top of verses 3, 4, and 5, where it says... Um, that we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the, of the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, you have heard of this hope before in the word of the truth, the gospel that has come uh, to you. Now, all the things that I just mentioned uh, before are important. Believing in Jesus, serving others, be involved in the church. But those are the fruit of being a Christian. They are not the root of being a Christian. So Paul sort of goes like this. He talks about uh, gratitude. He, he's thanking God for what he has seen and heard in the lives of the Colossians. And why is he thanking God? Because he has uh, two things. He's heard of their faith in Jesus and he's heard about their love for all the saints. So basically they've loved God and they've loved their neighbors. 
And uh, he says that is because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And the foundation of that, he says, is the reason you have hope in heaven is because you heard the gospel. Because you heard the gospel. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to work backwards in the text, but sort of forward in the process of Christian maturity. Paul starts at the top, gratitude, and he works his way down, love and faith, and, um, and all the way down to the foundation. You heard the gospel. But we're going to start at the foundation. You heard the gospel and work our way up to the top. So you have the gospel of grace and you have hope. That leads to hope of heaven, which leads to the love for the saints and love for Jesus or faith in Jesus and the greater uh, gratitude. So first, the gospel of grace. So the gratitude, the love, the faith, the hope of heaven, it all starts, and all starts for the Colossians because of one thing, and that is they heard the gospel. It's what Paul calls the word of truth. Paul is uh, writing, of course, before uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had written their works, certainly before any of them had gained any circulation. So he's not referring to a genre of scripture. You heard the gospels of Matthew, Mark. He's talking about uh, the good news. Gospel means, as you know, good news. It's a particular message of good news. Um, and he's going to get into it in, in the letter in fuller detail later, and, and we'll actually study that in the weeks to come. Uh, but he actually says it right here. So if you were to flip over right above the psalm, he gives you a little highlight, a little cursory uh, version of what the gospel message is, that, that he, the Father has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's rescued us from the power of darkness. He's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So if you take the time to notice this, this is actually really weird. It's really strange. You know, it sounds kind of churchy to us, since we kind of maybe let it roll off our uh, backs, bounce off our ears. But what he's saying is that our religion, at its foundation, is not a set of rules that we must keep. It's not a set of principles uh, that we must follow. It's not even a set of doctrines that we must believe at our found at its foundation our religion is not even really a religion at all that at its foundation what we have is a rescue mission and we are the ones who are being rescued see the the gospel the word gospel uh, in greek is the word evangel so we get the word evangelism from and what i think i may have said this before but uh, the, uh, in that culture, you know, they didn't have the internet, they didn't really have newspapers, so if there was a great military victory, or if there was a new king, like a new Caesar or something, they would send the town crier from village to village all throughout the countryside with the announcement, the evangel, that a great victory has been won. Or a new king is in town. Or on the throne, maybe not he's in town, but he's on the throne, or maybe he's coming to town. This was, it was great news. It was the evangel. And so when they're trying, the earliest Christians are trying to figure out, what do we call this proclamation, this good news? Well, it's a, a victory's been won. It's a new king. It's the evangel. It's the gospel. And so uh, it is the gospel of grace. 
The good news that Jesus' death on the cross has defeated sin and death. It is the gospel of grace, the proclamation that we have been forgiven. But not forgiven by our own efforts. Not forgiven because we deserve to be forgiven. Uh, Not forgiven because we have in some sense earned it. But because he has gifted it to us. He has gifted us that forgiveness. Not by our own efforts, but by his own efforts, not by our own strength, but by his, not because we deserve it, because he, but because he is gracious and he has given to us what only Christ deserves, which is in free and open relationship with God. He, Paul says, he has rescued us from the power of darkness. He has transferred us from, into the kingdom of his son. He uh, is active in this equation, but we are passive in this equation. And if you think about it, it kind of goes against our sensibilities, doesn't it? Especially in our culture. We want to be strong. We want to be recognized for our abilities and our accomplishments. We want to add to. We want to build our resumes. And so receiving this good news actually requires a little humility. A lot, sometimes, a lot of humility. That nothing we could do could could actually be sufficient to reach the holiness of God. But God has actually reached out in his kindness to us. And he's done that in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ, his son. Now that is a strange message, but I think what is so changing about it is the love that is behind it. See, we're not, you're not... You know, just some number in this cosmic machine of forgiveness. The gospel is that you are loved by Almighty God personally. And that you have been died for individually. And that you have been forgiven relationally. God loves you. God has rescued you. God forgives you. Because He is a good, gracious, amazing God. That's his character. His property, we'll say it just a minute in the liturgy, his property is always to have mercy. That is the gospel of grace. And what Paul says is that leads us to the hope of heaven. I don't know about you, but this is not the move I expect him to make here. Because I live in a culture like you do that is all about the here and now. And so I expect him to say that you've received the gospel and it is for my immediate benefit. That it works for me right now. Now he, does, he is going to say that, sort of. But for Paul and for the Colossians and for us, by extension, there is something more important. There is something more foundational, more fueling for our faith than what Jesus has done for us lately. Before he points to the present implications of the gospel, Paul points to the future implications of the gospel. The Colossians heard the gospel and they knew the hope laid up for them in heaven. I want you to listen to what the um, Church of England clergyman, he's retired now, his name is Dick Lucas. This is what he's written. He says, the Christian's present taste of reality in fellowship with God and his people 
is but an anticipation of the substantial realities which are reserved for the future, laid up in heaven for us. Therefore, we are not to think of ourselves as largely enjoying the fruits of Christ's victory now, with heaven as a sort of finishing touch. Rather, we are to recognize that heaven holds most of the great things won for us by Christ. And our present experience is no more than a precious foretaste of what is to come. Our present experience is no more than a precious foretaste of what is to come. Because friends, if you have received the gospel of grace, there will be a day when you are going to be with God all day, every day. And if you can imagine how great that is, just expect that you will multiply that by a million because you, you just can't comprehend what it's going to be like, how amazing it's going to be to be in the presence of God all the time. You're going to be with God all day, every day. Now, I hope that you are experiencing extraordinary blessings now, but that is just a skosh of what is to come. But I will tell you why I think Paul makes this move about heaven before he gets to the here and now. is because this reality that awaits us is completely freeing. Because I will tell you this, I can get through today, no matter what it holds for me. Today may be tough, but today is not my great hope. Today is a way station, but the finish line, the prize, the medal around my neck that has Jesus' finishing time on it, that that is what awaits me. I can get through today. I can get through a rough patch in my marriage because of what I see. There will be a day where I will be with God all day every day. I can get through a time where my 20-something child is going off the rails because there is a day coming where I will be with God all day, every day. Today is not my great hope. I can forgive because being right isn't my great hope. My great hope is to come. And so Paul wants us to keep our eyes on the great hope on the finish line on the prize that awaits us so that we can get through what we are experiencing now. It's incredibly free. See, God, we're going to be with God all day, every day. He may, if, and if He's the one that made it happen, then we're not the ones who can mess that up. And God's not going to mess it up. Now, we are consumers, and we might think that, well, if I can't mess it up, then I'm going to just do whatever I want. But Paul doesn't seem to think that that is what's going to happen to us. Paul seems to think that the hope of heaven, which comes from having received the gospel, that that leads us to love God and love our neighbor. That it leads us to do the thing which God's law requires, having received grace. See, the law, we said this before, the, the law can't create in us the thing it requires love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength love your neighbor as yourself if i just tell you to do that you can't do it but grace creates in us what the law describes paul says we've heard of your faith in jesus and your love for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven 
Now, in our famous gospel passage today from Luke 10, the, the, uh, where Jesus tells the, pa- uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, the lawyer comes to him and sort of uh, asks them this question to test him. Uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that is, that is the, the question, isn't it? What must I do to get to heaven? And, and Jesus flips it back on him. He sort of lawyers the lawyer. He says, well, you're, you're the expert. What, what do you see? And the lawyer, rather than going, oh, no, you're not going to do that to me, he, he, he answers the question. He says, well, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor and yourself. And Jesus, I'm sure with a wry smile, says, okay, just go do that, and you will get there. And seeking to justify himself, the lawyer says, but who's my neighbor? And he tells him this incredible parable that we know so well that says that everyone is your neighbor. He takes the law to the highest pitch. You've got to do this for everyone. Well, what that drives, what that ought, we don't actually hear how the lawyer responds, but what it should do is drive us to say, Lord, have mercy. I mean, this is what we just said when we, in the liturgy, you, you've heard it said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. But what do we follow that with? Lord, have mercy. What does the gospel tell us? We have received mercy. We have hope in heaven. And that frees us to radical acts of service. Radical acts of justice in the world. Radical acts of loving others and our neighbors. To be Christ's hands and feet in the community around us. Uh, we had an incredible uh, first couple of days with Built for a Purpose. Um, our first ever camp for, for boys. It was wonderful. Brian Miller, who's the uh, uh, outfielder for the Jumbo Shrimp, came and spoke to the boys yesterday. And uh, he said that that it is in knowing Christ that he is free to love and to serve his teammates. It is not to get their approval, but it is because he has already received God's approval that he is free uh, to love them. When he seems like sometimes to them he's got two heads for being a Christian. It's just so strange to them. We're able to to participate in God's work in the world. Not so that God will love us, but because He loves us. We are free to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're free to love our neighbor as ourselves. Not so that God will love us, but because God loves us. And it's all because of the hope laid up for us in heaven. We keep that before us. I want you to imagine... Um, two children who are told to clean their rooms. And both of them do it. So the end result is the same. They both have clean rooms. But one in the heart of the first child that does it in hopes of satisfying his mother and avoiding her anger. And the other one does it to honor his mother because he's so excited about the love that his mother has for him. And we can imagine both scenarios. And I know which one of those looks more like my house. But we can also say which one would be preferable. And we are the child who gets to serve because of the love that our Father has for us. Paul says that leads, at least in his life, what he sees in their lives 
It leads to gratitude. Now, I don't want to spend much time on that. But gratitude, I would say, is just one of many fruits that, that what we have in loving and serving God because of the hope laid up, uh, laid up for us in heaven, because of the gospel that we have heard, that that produces all sorts of seeds of the gospel. And it, just in conclusion, if you can think of this like a tree, this beautiful tree, that the gospel of grace is like a seed that takes root and the hope of heaven is like the trunk that grows up to give strength and stability. And the trust in Jesus, the love for God, and the love for a neighbor, those are like the branches that reach up and reach out in every direction. And the gratitude is just one of many fruits. And fruit isn't for the good of the tree. It's the sweetness for the good of others. But it has seeds in it that other trees may be planted. So let the gospel continually take root in our lives. Let the hope of heaven continually grow up and give us strength and stability in our faith. And let that be the prize that is ever held before us so that we may reach up and reach out in Christ's name, planting many seeds for his glory. Amen.